I mean, it's kind of cute, right? Hello, and welcome back to Kinda Cute, and if you're new here, welcome. My name's Bailey Evan, I'm your host, and on Kinda Cute, we discuss articles from The Cut and my general pop culture musings. Y'all, I don't have a lot of updates this week. I'm still getting over the trauma that was last weekend. Listen to that episode for that story. But as discussed, Lizzo made my weekend, my night, less of a nightmare. So I thought it was funny that at the Super Bowl, Jeff Bezos himself asked Lizzo, for a selfie just goes to show that not even jeff bezos can resist the amazingness that is lizzo oh i just like doesn't everyone want to be friends with her that has to be like a universal feeling it can't just be me so he took the selfie with her and then he captioned it i just took a dna test turns out i'm 100 percent lizzo's biggest fan hashtag sbl I V. And I'm sorry for that beeping. Those are my emails. I turned off my sound, so I apologize. Um, and I don't know why, but that just really tickled my pickle that he captioned it that because it's just so predictably corny and basic. And would we expect anything else from billionaire Jeff Bezos? So today we're just going to get right on into our articles. The first one is about Miss Jessica Simpson herself, and it's titled, Wait, Was Jessica Simpson Almost in the Notebook? And I have to preface this by saying I need to get my hands on Jessica Simpson's book. It's called Open Book. I usually always rent my books through my library and it's not on there yet. So I'm thinking about doing that audible free trial thing where you can get one book just because I am that desperate to hear this book. Because I think Jessica probably does the audible, like the audio version of it. And I think it'd be even better coming out of her mouth. You know, it gives it that little extra je ne sais quoi. So I was obsessed with Newlyweds back in the day when it was on MTV. And honestly, who wasn't? That show was incredible. And I've loved every morsel of info that's been coming out ahead of this book's release. So now that it's out, we're hearing even more about what's actually in the book. And she talks about how she got back together with John Mayer multiple times. And really what made it finally end was when he said that she was sexual napalm, which was literally like the Howard Stern interview heard around the world. So I just cannot wait to read it. But this detail that we're talking about in this article might be the best detail I've heard so far. So Hannah writes that in her book, the 39-year-old singer reveals that she was up for the part of Allie Hamilton, the lead role that ultimately went to Rachel McAdams in the notebook, but turned it down because they wouldn't budge on taking out the sex scene, according to the New York Post. Later, she learned that Ryan Gosling had been cast as the film's leading man, a bit of a letdown for Simpson, who also writes that the actor was her first crush, an infatuation that took root when they auditioned for the Mickey Mouse Club together as children. She says of meeting Gosling when she was 12, I was in love. Before anybody knew how hot Ryan Gosling was going to become, I had a vision. Okay, queen, you're also a psychic. I mean, wow. And I don't mean to read into this, read this whole article, but this part was just too good because it says, fate intervened once more as Simpson was contemplating leaving her then-husband, former 98 Degrees member Nick Lachey, sometime in the early aughts. The two finalized their divorce in 2006. Simpson recounts that the flight she was on just after deciding to break up with Lachey screened a movie for the entire cabin, as was customary in those faraway times. Guys, I still swear I'm on flights that like do that. Like I'm on some, some busted-ass flights. And what should the airline choose to play? 
but the notebook. The statement about the breakup went out while I was in the air, but nobody on the plane knew a thing except that Jessica Simpson was sobbing in first class, she writes. Then they announced that the movie we all had to watch was The Notebook. Oh God, I thought the most romantic movie in the world and I was leaving Nick. Wow, universe, wow. Like, why did you have to play Jessica like that? And like, why does this shit always happen? I swear sometimes like the way things manifest themselves is too weird, too real. But can we also take a step back for a second and imagine Jessica in that role in the notebook? It's become such a cultural juggernaut that it's hard to imagine anyone except Rachel McAdams playing that role. It's kind of like imagining someone other than Rachel playing Regina in Mean Girls. Like, your brain cannot compute. And I wonder if Jessica had been in the role. Would it be still that cultural juggernaut? Or would it be like Britney Spears' Crossroad, which has its own culture, cultural, you know, uh, value I love that movie but I wouldn't say it's quite as esteemed as the notebook but I guess we'll never know because obviously Jessica didn't do it but I mean can I press for a notebook remake with Jessica like how amazing okay next article thank god Megan D. Stallion and G.E.Z. aren't dating by Amanda Arnold so honestly the headline says it all but I just wanted to share this messiness with you guys in case you weren't aware so Amanda gives us a quick recap of the two involved. So she says she was attempting to process the possibility that Megan the Stallion, a widely talented artist and certified hot girl, TM, was maybe into a white rapper who I'm only really knew of as Halsey's tragic ex who famously had a horrible Halloween a few back. And to clarify, they're talking about when him and Halsey broke up, she went to a Halloween party as Poison Ivy and he was another Batman character, I think Two-Face at a separate party. So it was just awkward because clearly they had like planned their couple costumes together and then broke up and then were at separate parties like with their couple costumes and g Easy was looking real sad and now I do have to say I saw g Easy in concert because he played a festival um Sunfest it's our West Palm festival and I thought he was very entertaining and good and he wore this like tie-dye shirt that said Palm Beach that he got from the airport and to this day I'm really sad I didn't get it because it's no longer sold there and it was just really a missed opportunity <laughs> moving on so G-Eazy posted an Instagram of him kissing all up on Megan's cheek. So the internet, I think, was pretty collectively horrified. I don't think anyone was really into, you know, G-Eazy getting this goddess, Megan. But Tuesday morning, Megan clarified on her Twitter that she is, and I quote, not fucking G-Eazy in response to a question on Twitter, Twitter, <laughs> Twitter, oh my God, Freudian slip, regarding all the face sucking, Megan responded, Oh, because people were like, well, if you're not together, why is he sucking on your face? And she gives this amazing response. He like Fenty. And then she does the hands up emoji. And if you're not aware, Fenty is Rihanna's makeup line. So she was saying like he was licking the makeup off her face because he likes it so much. Wow. I mean, it's no surprise that this girl invented the term hot girl summer because she is clearly a genius. And she's like still in college, I believe. Or if she's not now, she was when I first started talking about her on the podcast. So props to this girl. Next up, The Infamous Publicist Behind the Taylor Swift Machine by Sanjita Singh Kurtz. First off, I want to say that I watched Miss Americana the day it came out. Literally, Kenzie and I were on the train to that Harry Styles concert that almost was, and I loved every second of it. Now, I've talked in the past how I think Taylor is one of those people who controls her image more carefully than just about any other 
celebrity I know. It's very, very, very controlled. And while I think that this documentary clearly super controlled, you can tell Taylor's hand in showing still exactly what she wanted to show. But I do think it showed a different side of her. And she talked about things that, at least being 31, I feel like a lot of women my age can relate to. She talked about, you know, aging, disagreeing with her parents over what's right, growing up, being 30, and maybe wanting kids, but not wanting them yet, and all the pressure that comes with that. And I think anyone my age can vouch for that, where it's like so much uncertainty. And at least, you know, she has she has the privilege and ability to freeze her eggs and all the costs that come with that. But beyond just the cost of that, it's such an emotionally draining process to go through the IVF, you know, routine. And it's so hard on your body and all of that, like having to make these insane decisions when I still feel like at 30 and I know people say you always feel young, like your whole life, but you do kind of feel on this. I'm not a, I'm not a girl, not yet a woman, you know, second crossroads shout out in this, in this episode. Um, So I really did appreciate her showing that side of it and showing kind of how many different opinions she had from people managing her and all sides of it going into if she should go into the political field and be really public about that. And I do appreciate that she did that. And I totally understand why she was so scared to do that in the past. I mean, geez, like it's insane. And then I don't know if they talked, I can't remember if they talked about in the documentary, but how she was being associated with like alt-right crazy Nazi groups like disgusting stuff so I don't blame her for wanting to set the record straight on that uh and I will admit that I did want her to talk a little bit more not necessarily about like her relationship with Joe because I totally get wanting to keep that private and uh she does show like some clips of them holding hands and whatever not really ever showing him face and I totally respect that but I wish she had talked a little bit more about the media's relationship with her relationships because she does talk about it in her songs. I mean, blank space is basically like a satire of how she's treated by the media. Um, but I wanted to know specifically more about the Hiddleswift relationship, which was between Tom Hiddleston and her. And there was just some very strange aspects of that that made me think that whole relationship was faked, like post paparazzi shots at the beach, him wearing the I love Taylor thing at her 4th of July party. Like to this day, I just have so many questions about it. And I wish she had pulled back the curtain on that a little bit. But back to this article. I've become fascinated with Taylor's publicist, Tree Payne, since she became Taylor's publicist because she is so elusive in a way and doesn't have much of an online footprint, but is very omnipresent when it comes to Taylor. She has bright red hair, so you can see her a lot. She kind of is ahead of like dealing with the Taylor Nation stuff, which is um, kind of like the social media side of Taylor's brand, and they deal with the stuff at actual concerts, like merch, whatever. So this article gives us some facts about Tree Pain that I thought maybe you guys would want to hear about too. So before she worked for Taylor, she was already big in Nashville music and she worked at the Academy of Country Music in Nashville, which is where obviously Taylor got her start. And she was hired as VP of Publicity for Warner Music Nashville before she went out and started her own company. She's super quiet on social media. Like I said, she doesn't have much of an internet footprint. Uh, But the only one that she really is active on is Tumblr, which is interesting. So she has one at www.tree-pain.tumblr.com and it has pictures of Taylor, pictures of herself, pictures of cats. Um, and it's interesting in her Instagram bio, which is private and it specifically says like 
she really only lets people she actually knows in real life follow her. She has a link to the song with uh, those on the Fifty Shades Darker soundtrack, I Don't Want to Live Forever, which is a great song. It's Zayn featuring Taylor Swift. But I thought that was interesting that that's the one she links since it's just one that Taylor Swift's featured on and it's an older song. So fascinating. She, like Taylor, also loves cats with squished faces. Oh, and this is a fact I like. She has a connection to the Property Brothers. So her husband is Lance Payne, who was formerly the president of a massive candy brand, as well as Scott Brothers Global, the company behind HGTV's Property Brothers. And then lastly, this article talks about how her effectiveness as Swift's PR is a subject of debate because of all the shiz that's gone down with Taylor with... uh, you know, the Taylor Swift is over party when Kim released the Kanye tapes, her public breakup with Tom Hiddleston, her continuing feuds with Kanye, Nicki Minaj. And again, as I mentioned, being painted as an alt-right icon by various neo-Nazi groups online. But I think people probably don't realize what a good job she is doing and how much other shit probably could be out there if she wasn't doing her job. So I think when you have someone like Taylor, it's just impossible to keep track, keep dibs on everything, you know? So I I don't think I could do a better job. Let's, let me put it that way. And since I didn't have a ton of updates this week and I've been kind of blowing through all these articles, I thought it'd be fun to do one more. So this one is called The Night I Crashed Colin Firth's Oscar Moment by Nell Scoble. And y'all, this might be one of my favorite cut articles ever, like a short form article that they've done, because it speaks to that elusive feeling of being around celebrities, but not being one of them and wanting the access to what they have. It's sort of the strange conundrum, that feeling, because when you're in a situation like that, you totally get that they are normal people. They go to the bathroom like you. They get hungover like you. Yeah, they might have more money okay but they're human but the glitz the glam the freebies the access I feel like even though I'm not a super superficial person you want to be close to that it's infectious you want to like get up in their grill so this article is written by a Vanity Fair contributor and she talks about attending the Vanity Fair Oscars party which is very timely with the Oscars coming up tomorrow so Nell attended her first VF Oscars party in the early 90s. And as you can imagine, things have definitely changed since then. So she writes that her first VF party was an intimate gathering of about 200 people. Can you believe that? Only 200 people? And it was held at a now defunct restaurant in Beverly Hills. It was odd to roam around a room where I recognized everyone and knew no one. Starstruck, I made a loop around the main room and passed in the center to gawk. Diane Keaton looked happy and comfortable playing herself. Steve Martin leaned in and elicited a laugh. Old-timer Kirk Douglas, didn't he just die? R.I.P. Looked elegant, as did new-timer Julia Roberts. In a room of statuesque women, no one looked more regal than Angelica Houston until Cher strolled in. I wanted to take it all in. I wanted to remember the moment forever. I wanted to move. I need you to move. A man holding a camera barked. You're ruining my picture. I turned to see what he meant and realized Muhammad Ali and Madonna were conversing behind me. Any shot would have captured two icons of the 20th century. And a short, nerdy comedy dork who hadn't even taken the time to put on lipstick, I ducked out of the shot, scooting off like Groucho Marx. So I like that little story about her very first VF party. And then she tells a delightful story about Years later, the cookies at the party had famous people's pictures ink jetted on them. And I swear I remember, I think this was like when I was in high school and still watching E! 
which I miss. Like I was such an E junkie. I think I probably talked about this before. Like I teethed on E to get my pop culture goodies. And I swear I remember them talking about these cookies because it was like new tech back then. So she talks about how she finds one with Goldie Hawn's face on it and she wraps it up in a napkin and she puts it in her purse. And guys, maybe I just related to this article so much because that is 100% my move when I'm at a party. I wake up with a mutilated napkin wrapped chocolate chip cookie every damn party I go to I swear that's my move so back to Nell an hour later she was standing at the valet she heard a familiar laugh Goldie Hawn was behind her waiting for her car had she seen her cookie I had to ask no she said with honey and enthusiasm I missed it that didn't seem fair so Nell pulled the napkin out of her clutch and unwrapped the treasure you should have this she said Goldie lit up and gleefully accepted the cookie the cookie exchanged encouraged Nell. When presented with the right opportunities, she would do more than just observe the stars. She also related this part, um, or I'm sorry, I-, I related to this part about how one good celebrity interaction can really give you some bravery, bravery but usually mine are bad, so I don't really have this. But we're fast, fast forwarding for Nell's story to 2011. And by this point, the VF party had grown a shit ton. And Colin Firth was the man of the hour for the King's speech, which ironically was directed by the same director as Katz. We all know how that went. So Nell explains how the whole night she couldn't get close to Firth because people circled him like vultures. And I can vouch this is another thing that happens at events where celebrities are. It's scary. The vulturism like you don't really want to be that close to it because it's 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 a lot. So I feel bad for them just to like have to deal with that because inevitably at these parties, there are people who are not celebrities and even the people who are celebrities, but like lower down on the totem pole, they want to be close to them too. So it really creates like a vortex of celebrity hell. Anyways, I'm going to read you now what Nell says. At 1 a.m., I called it a night. I walked out of the hotel, handed my tickets to the valet, and waited under a heat lamp near the in-and-out truck while pondering whether I had time to grab some fries. A stretch limo pulled up, and a valet waved to a group that emerged from the hotel behind me. Colin Firth and his party were on the move. I figured the Oscar winner would scoot into the parked vehicle first, but instead he remained on the sidewalk and held the door open for his entourage with their high heels and long gowns. It took some time for the women to maneuver into the limo. Ever the gentleman, Firth waited patiently at the curb. As he stood facing the sidewalk, his gaze fell on the person standing directly across from him. That would be me. Perhaps six feet separated us, and I could see the dice triumph still still twinkling in his eyes. He flashed me a roguish little smile. I smiled back. Colin Firth and I were having a moment. I felt a rush of warmth which could have been the heat lamps, and realized that I wanted more than a moment. This was my chance to connect with Colin Firth, to tell him how happy I was that he won, and I knew just what to say. In my cheeriest voice, I called out, Well done, Mr. Darcy! Instantly, the actor's face fell. He lowered his gaze and literally shook his head with annoyance. He spun around and hurried along, the last person loading into the limo before sliding in and quickly closing the door. The limo pulled onto Sunset Boulevard and sped off. I felt awful. This was a high point of his career, and somehow my four words seemed to darken his perfect night. I slunk into my car and cringed the entire drive home, racked with guilt. Now I knew how Elizabeth Bennett felt. So, as Nell's telling this story to her sister, her sister acknowledges that obviously this was a faux pas, but she made her feel better and said, you did nothing wrong. If Colin Firth doesn't want to be associated with Mr. Darcy, then maybe he should stop playing him. Nell writes, after years of attending the Vanity Fair party, I've come to understand that while actors loom large on the big screen, they can be all too human at the valet stand. So maybe you guys won't find any pleasure in this article at all, but I really think it nailed kind of this celebrity interaction thing and how it can go on the head. And 
I don't know if I've told this story before, but one of my favorite celeb interactions was so stupid. I was obviously with Elena whenever something crazy like this happens. We were in the East Village. We were right by um, Frankie's, I think, which is like a really cool store there. And we're just standing outside. We're trying to figure out our next move. I think we're like waiting on our Uber. And I see Robert Schwartzman, who is the front man of Rooney. And he also plays Michael Moskovitz in Princess Diaries. Shout out. Miracles happen. Uh, and so I literally just raised my hand up and I'm like, hey, Rob. <laughs> And he turns and you can tell like from far away, he's trying to figure out if he knows who I am, but he's kind of like, "Mm, no, I don't. So as I'm like worried, he's going to walk over. I literally just say, just a fan. (laughs) And he does like a head nod, does like a little wave and walks off. And that was the last time I saw him, but it was a pretty satisfying interaction for me, I have to say. So maybe try that method. I think it goes pretty well and it's kind of a fun story. And now on for today's legit shit. I thought I would share my favorite drink to get at a bar. And maybe this isn't new to anyone. Maybe you don't give a shit. But my favorite drink order, if you want to be feeling good, you want to be feeling a little frisky, get a tequila soda, splash of grapefruit, lots of limes. And then if you want to get real fancy, ask them to add a little splash of Contro. So... Basically, you have like a not sweet grapefruit margarita and it is heaven and you can drink them all night. Delish. That's my legit shit this week, guys. Nothing you even have to buy. Just a little tip when you're out there this week and having fun. I hope you guys have an amazing weekend and I will see you next week. Bye.